0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fees, 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement. Due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.
1: Among the people on the front lines of confronting the problem. Hello, I'm Political Editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. The start of the new year means another year for those who don't have or can't afford secure housing to worry about how to find warmth and shelter, food, and a lot more. There's probably a lot more help available than many of them know and probably a lot more homeless people than you'd know from just walking along the streets. We're going to talk about homelessness in Chicago this weekend, the perceptions, the realities, the magnitude, the plans to combat it, and the arguments about what to do. Joining me here in the studio are Doug Schenkelberg, Executive Director of the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless, and Richard ducanton He is the Executive Director of Franciscan Outreach. Uh, That is uh, uh, an agency that provides homeless services at three shelters in the city and elsewhere. He's new to the organization but has 20 years' experience in nonprofit organizations. And thank you to both of you for coming in.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having us.
1: Well, uh, Doug Schenkelberg, uh, homelessness is very visible in Chicago. I mean, we see people mm-hmm. uh, on the streets everywhere these days, downtown, commercial districts, may very often in the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. But the problem can be hidden, too. I mean, talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the 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 problem itself. Not every homeless person is living under a viaduct. That's exactly right,
2: yes. And you, know, you mentioned at the top that there's roughly 86,000 people in the city of Chicago experiencing homelessness. And a portion of those individuals are the people who are on the street who you see when you're walking through the loop or in the neighborhoods. But the majority of those folks are people who you aren't going to see. Um, And we're often referred to as folks that are doubled up or couch surfing. These are individuals who don't have a key to their own home. Um, They don't have a place to stay, and they might be temporarily able to sleep on someone's floor, sleep on someone's couch, shifting in and out of the shelter system or maybe on the streets, um, and they're experiencing homelessness just like anybody else um, and all the uh, bad effects that come with homelessness, just like anyone who's on the street.
1: And I, and I would think uh, that it's in some ways there are other things added on, because if you're right. bunking with relatives exactly. or or uh, friends, I mean, there I would think there's more. There's an emotional strain there, too.
2: Absolutely. There's an emotional strain. There's a lot of, uh, you know, it's obviously insecurity. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, You know, in the shelter system, at least there's uh, clear, for the most part, clear rules about what you can and can't do when you're staying with uh, a friend or someone you may not even know that well. Those lines may shift and there sometimes can be real safety issues for folks.
1: Um, Richard DeCondza, tell us a little bit about what homelessness looks like from the front lines. I mean, and and, and the kinds of things that Franciscan Outreach is doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, as Doug mentioned, um, we... Homelessness sometimes is a little bit more apparent, um, and sometimes it's not. Um, Many of those individuals and families are are living doubled up, but we primarily work with those individuals that are in our shelter. Right? We we have over almost four hundred beds that we provide on a given night, and for the majority, those are full. Uh, We provide um, close to about services to about over seven thousand people um, throughout the year. So, you know, our services mean providing them with a safe place to stay at night, right, so, uh, especially on a cold night like to, like, like, we're experiencing now, um, but also being able to provide them with the case management services, with the vital supportive services that they need in order to be able to begin planning uh, just their, um, their service plan, being able to get back on their feet, being able to begin thinking about how to get back into housing, how to get back into stability,
1: uh, I do want to ask you one thing, and we'll talk about the services in a, in a moment. But um, I have seen cases, and and sometimes when we've been doing stories on this, that, that sometimes people don't want to go to shelters um, because they feel insecure there, or worry about uh, um, you know their own safety or protecting their goods. How do you what what does a uh, you know a place that operates shelters do to Give people more of a confidence to come in from the cold.
0: Yeah, I mean, like as you mentioned, that's that's exactly true, right? Many individuals were rather, for some reason or another, stay out in the street or live in an encampment uh, rather than coming into a shelter, and, and for very valid reasons, right? For fear, of, for safety reasons, um, for maybe not receiving uh, the care that they were promised, um, also maybe just for mistrust, right? Um, but we, we as one of our core values is we believe in providing a, a safe. Shelter, And that means being able to come in, making sure that their belongings are taken care of, that they have a place to be able to store them, right, in lockers, um, in bins, um, having adequate staff, right, that are trained on how to de-escalate situations in the event that something happens. Uh, But for the most part, it's really coming from a place of understanding that majority of our guests will be, will have experienced some type of trauma at some point or another. Um, Just being homeless um, in itself is traumatic, but many of the individuals have experienced trauma their entire lives, so coming from a point of being trauma informed, understanding where they're coming from, just in the way we speak to them, coming to a place from a place that we're talking to them um, with dignity and respect, um, that it, it really goes a long way. So it's really a, it's it's a combination, right, of being able to provide adequate space that's safe, but also having trained staff to be able to really know how to work with these individuals.
1: I want to talk a little bit about the The numbers and mm-hmm. the people uh first off what is the 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 fastest growing group i mean at various times it's been families i mean is it right. is it is it still that or is it mothers with children is it and is the largest well start with that yeah
2: so the you know what we've seen the growth in is in families um we see uh, a growing number of kids um you know within the Chicago public school systems we have over sixteen thousand youth who are experiencing homelessness just in that system alone Mm. Um, and that doesn't take into account the rest of their family. Right. Um, And so we do see really uh, a rise in family. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, stereotypes about who experiences homelessness and a lot, you know, oftentimes the image that pops into people's heads is um, the single man on the street. Um, And that's definitely a piece of homelessness, but it is, um, it hits everybody. And Mm. we see more and more families, um, experiencing homelessness, be it either single moms or uh, uh, two-parent families as well.
1: Are, are um, single men on the streets still the largest individual group or, or not?
2: Um, you know, when you look at uh, including those who are doubled up um, and you're looking at that broader population, I'd say no. Um, and we're you know, particularly seeing a rise in youth homelessness. Um, you know, when you're looking at folks up to the age of 24, that group is growing on a regular basis and they're uh, more apt to be the ones who are couch surfing. Um, and so we're, that's becoming a um, larger issue that we need to address.
1: And, and Richard, I want to bring you in on this. The, the You were mentioning the services that are offered and yeah, I mean, when people come in off the street, they, they very often are in need of more than just shelter and food. Um, so what kinds of things are you in a position, you know, are yours and and agencies like yours able to offer?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, we view ourselves as a, as a continuum of care, right? We understand that um, we can't provide all of the services, but we, we do specialize in certain things and trying to meet our population needs. Um, so we know that when people present and people come walk through our doors, they, they come to us, you know, and are homeless as a result of perhaps losing a job, right? Um, they also have chronic medical conditions. Um, Some come with mental health problems and many also experience substance use disorders. So um, we want to make sure that we're providing them or at least connecting them with the adequate care that they're looking for. Um, We do have case management services. So everybody that walks through our doors will be assessed. Um, Everybody will be put on this one list, uh, this coordinated entry system. It's a coordinated system that the city uses to make sure that everybody is um, assessed and um, connected to, to housing at one point or another. Um, but we want to make sure that they're connected to the immediate type of service that they're most in need of, whether it's medical attention. Uh, we have uh, um, r- nurses that are there one, one day a week. Um, we have uh, we have strong linkages and connection with substance use providers, making sure that we're referring them there for th- the type of need and care that they uh um, would most benefit from, but also, you know, connecting with uh, employment resources. I think that's key. You know, many of the individuals that are coming to us um, don't have income. And we believe that making, you know, trying to make sure that they're connected either to main, mainstream services or income is one of the best chances for them to be able to, um, to gain housing or to be able to leave the situation that they're currently in.
1: Doug, are there enough Services available for the people that are coming to you know the the agencies you work with.
2: No, there there aren't, and that's the fundamental issue. I mean, there's great agencies like Franciscan that are doing great work to provide shelter and provide frontline services. But you know, if tonight everyone who was uh, uh, living on the street decided that they were going to go to a shelter, there wouldn't be enough beds for them. Just the numbers aren't there, Um, and that's just the shelter system. That doesn't get to what is the long-term solution, which is permanent housing, um, which everyone needs. And our supply of permanent housing with the supports that people need, be it job training, mental health treatment, substance abuse treatment, um, is woefully inadequate. Uh, And our system is such, you know, we do have a great system through the coordinated entry system and the providers work together. Unfortunately, that system doesn't serve doubled-up families. Mm-hmm. So they're left out of that homeless services system, um, in part because we have such limited resources to serve folks. And so we really need a credible investment in the system, particularly with permanent housing and support, to ever begin to really take a real dent and put a real dent into that 86,000 number.
1: I, and this is just a curiosity on my part. How do you find people who are homeless in in place and in, in somebody's house so
2: the primary re- space um, is through the school system um, so when you know the school system recognizes doubled up as homeless homelessness and uh, a family when they're registering for school or uh, uh, engaging with the school they will let folks know that they're experiencing homelessness and so that's one way now obviously that doesn't track folks who aren't connected to the school system. So that's one of the difficulties of engaging folks who are doubled up because they aren't necessarily connected to a service provider, particularly given a lot of the homeless service providers don't have the resources to serve them because they don't fit that narrow definition of homelessness.
1: Um, for both of you, how how big of an issue is mental illness these days? I think, you know, just because at least when we're walking on the streets, uh, for example, in downtown Chicago, you get the impression that you know mental illness is a is a major thing, and, but obviously not in the invisible homeless. But uh, how does how does that uh, work, and and are there enough facilities for them? Right.
0: I mean, I would say that it's definitely a problem, right? Uh, I think just in, in, in the country alone, um, there's obviously um, a lot of um, need around mental health services in general. You know, I think there's also a lot of stereotypes that come along mm-hmm. that, you know, assuming that everybody that's on the street or in in an encampment suffers from some type of severe mental illness. And that's not always the case. Um, a lot of times, many of the conditions that people have um, could be treated, right, through medication or through therapy, and they just don't have the access, you know, to to those type of services. And if you're on the street, you know, you're not. Where are you going to be keeping your medic, your meds? You know, you don't have a refrigerator to be able to store a certain type of medication, whether it's insulin, but um, let alone any type of psychotropic medication. So, um, you know, it, it really involves being able to have stability to really be able to even begin to address the issue.
2: Right, and that's you know really you know gets to um, the model that's called housing first, which is this idea that you provide someone with a permanent housing without any conditions. They don't have to be in treatment. They don't have to be um, have their substance use issues under control because you recognize that those issues are much easier to deal with once someone is in housing that they know is theirs and they have stability. Um, and that is a proven model um, and works incredibly well to keep people housed and keep them from reentering homelessness. Um, and the fundamental issue is we just don't have enough of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um- well, you're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We're talking about homelessness, and my guests are Doug Schenkelberg, executive director of the uh, Chicago Coalition for the Homeless, and Richard DeContin-Zahler, the executive director of Franciscan Outreach. I'd like you each to tell me something that people need to know about the homeless that most people don't seem to know. And, and you brought up one about this, the stereotype, but uh, let's talk about some other things that, uh, you know, that for people who aren't necessarily all that cognizant of the problem, what they really need to know about the people they're seeing or not seeing.
2: Right. So I'd say like, you know, one thing, like our data um, shows that one in five folks who are experiencing homelessness are working. One in four have some level of college education. So, you know, the assumption that um, the, you know, it goes against a lot of the stereotypes about who's homeless. And a lot of folks who are experiencing homelessness right now, it's not that they're not working or have no money, it's that they simply can't afford housing. That there just isn't the affordable housing out there that allows them to stay in. Uh, a place for a long term. They get caught in a cycle of eviction because they're missing rent and they get evicted and they end up homeless and then maybe couple together another opportunity to be in an apartment and then get evicted again. It's a horrible cycle that they get stuck in. Um, but they are working um, and it's
0: simply that they're not making a living wage. Richard? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of piggyback on that, um, we've had some individuals come to us that were, were referred that were living in encampments, right? They were living in tents and, uh had been we have one individual that had been living there for numerous years and had actually been working throughout that same time, and not only one job but two jobs, and simply not because um, he didn't want to live somewhere or in an apartment, but he frankly just was not able to afford it. So he, after uh, some persuasion and working with the outreach teams, he decided to come into one of our programs, and he began you know build we began to build that trust and working with him and. Um, we connected him with finally through the coordinated entry system he was connected to uh, permanent supportive housing and that was really the only way in which he was able to to maintain some type of stability in housing mm-hmm. so um it, as you know we mentioned it's not you know the typical person that people think about when we talk about homelessness it's individuals who who are working who who are looking to uh, to try to improve their lives but just are not able to because they they don't have a livable wage and able to enable or for them to be able to afford, you know, housing on their own. Well,
1: obviously, uh, one potential uh, solution, well, maybe not a solution, but certainly a help would be more money. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, right now, state and local budgets are being uh, stretched by things like pension debt and uh, mm-hmm. just the rising cost, the kind of rising cost that you're talking about. The, the You know, housing costs money, mm-hmm. uh, treatment for things costs money. Um, where do we go from here? Let's talk about that.
2: So I think, you know, there's the, there's, there's solutions out there. Um, You know, and we, as a, as the coalition um, have been pressing for the creation of new funding streams. Um, And, you know, we've done this for years, be it, you know, in Springfield and in the city of Chicago to create dedicated funding to address homelessness. Uh, And, you know, we're continuing to push on that here in the city and, you know, hoping to, to work with this administration to create a new dedicated funding stream that can create that permanent housing with supports that's needed to begin to uh, make a measurable measurable progress on the problem. Um, But as you mentioned, you know, the the city's dealing with budget issues. That's, you know, it's in context of a a bigger issue that the city's dealing with. And so we're trying to come up with compromises and solutions that work for all uh, uh, parties to move that issue forward
1: yeah in fact in on our program uh this just last week, when I talked to uh, Mayor Lightfoot about what kinds of things uh that could be could be done and how some people were disappointed she said oh, you know she said i can so you say one figure, one billion she said one billion dollars was the deficit we were facing when we came in, mm-hmm. and there's no way around that and being able to do everything that we want and need to do. So, I mean, it sounds like a, a frustration. And I would imagine that frustration, uh, Richard, is is being translated down to the street
0: level. Of course yeah, it is. And I think we, as providers, we all recognize that the only solution to ending homelessness is, is additional housing, right? And we know that requires additional resources and funding, However, you know we, we as providers. I mean, we understand that we we have to operate as efficiently as possible, right? With the limited amount of funding and resources that come our way, um, but we're always looking at innovative ways, you know, to be able to address homelessness and, and partner together and, and work together with the with the coalition and various other partner organizations and making sure that we're voicing, you know, our 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 concerns and and continuing to to push, you know, the. the just bring the attention to to the problem, right, to the issue, and trying to see how can we bring additional funding.
1: I have to think that um, agencies and, and 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 advocacy groups like yours are in an odd position because you're dealing with an administration that, for all you know, purposes. Agrees with you on the goals, right, right. and and in many ways, and and Mayor Lightfoot uh, doesn't deny that uh, you know in her campaign she said you know we've got to do something, and here's what we got to do. But you are, I mean, you're you're getting resistance right. from the uh, administration, uh, and also mm-hmm. you're, there's a conflict now between the Lightfoot administration and lawmakers in mm-hmm. Springfield who are saying we're not going to approve any of the tax changes that the mayor wants unless we get a bigger commitment for, for housing. I, is, how is that playing out in yeah. your community? Cause I, 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 mean, I think, you know, fighting the, the fighting obviously makes people angry. Right. But on the other hand, you're, you know, you're, you're fighting with the, your own choir.
2: Yeah, no, I, it's, I think you're absolutely right like you know I think you know Mayor Lightfoot and her administration you know they de- definitely want to address homelessness they want to address affordable housing in general they it's important to them um and you know we recognize that you know there's a lot of other issues in the city and I think there's you know an opportunity to to create a compromise um that allows Mayor Lightfoot to live out her desire to Address homelessness and affordable housing in a big way, um, and also address the other issues that she's dealing with. And I think it's not an issue of having fundamental um, philosophical differences. It's an issue of you know getting looking at the nuts and bolts of, of, of a plan that can work for all parties. And I think we can do that.
1: What What could what could bring both sides together and i and i i think we can entertain all ideas in this but <laughs> yeah. uh, but really what kind of a compromise could there be well i think you know the the issue is that you know when we're looking
2: at new revenue to address problems be it homelessness or anything else like there's a limited number of resources um but there's ways to like look at you know you know we've been looking at the real estate transfer tax obviously to address homelessness and um, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can structure the rates to address to, for that tax to generate different levels of revenue. And so, you know, we're hoping to come up with a rate structure that generates more revenue than is needed to address the budget hole that can also uh, dedicate money to homelessness so they can serve both issues. At, at, and so that gets into kind of talking about. You know different thresholds for the rate structure and what the you know, uh, potential revenue streams you know, or the revenue level would be. Um, so I think there's a way to do it, and I think you know this work. Nothing gets done, you know, within um, within government and, and these type of issues without folks of goodwill coming to the table and talking through an issue and finding where they can common ground. And I think that's what we can do with this too.
1: Um, Richard, what does uh, Franciscan outlook? or outreach, excuse me, uh, need to do its j- job, its mission, as m- well as it wants?
0: So, I mean, I think Doug and I were just talking about this, uh, and, you know, obviously it comes down to to resources, right? Uh, we, we just, from a system standpoint, you know, there just needs to be enough affordable housing and permanent supportive housing for where and create that pipeline for our guests to be able to, uh, to go uh, to and receive the type of uh, housing and services that they really need in order for them to be, to remain housed and to be successful in where they, they're at. Because we know that once people are housed, that does, that's not the end of the story, right? People um, require additional services even beyond that. So it's not only about trying to get people housed, but maintaining those level of, that level of services, that level of support, those wraparound services that individuals need uh, to prevent them from becoming homeless once again. Um, so, of course, you know, resources, um, just getting also people to to engage, right? We, mm-hmm. uh, we would love to have individuals come and volunteer, uh, get to know our guests for who they are, just have conversations with them. Um, you would be astonished by just, you know, what you would be able to learn from from speaking with some of our guests and just learning about their experiences and get to know the humanity behind the issue. So just, you know, engaging, partnering, uh, getting to to know the the guests and the programs, um, I think that's just a way to really begin to bridge, you know, that disconnect Mm -hmm. that's happening.
1: Yeah, I think people probably think if they buy a copy of Streetwise every, uh, you know, every every week. um, But, uh, Doug, it's got to be more than that. Uh, Oh, yeah, uh, it
2: definitely does. And, you know, the the thing is, what I'm always um, still, you know, having done this work for several years, astounded by is how many people I encounter that have experienced homelessness in their own lives or if family members have experienced homelessness or friends, be it through, uh, you know, shelter system or, you know, couch surfing. Um, and uh, it's having those conversations with folks that have experienced it um, helps break down a lot of the stereotypes about it and helps people understand the issue in a different way and understand that it's a more complicated issue than they might assume. Um, and I think it's really critical to have those conversations, to hear the stories um, from folks and to make it not just about the numbers, but about, you know, people you really know that have gone through this and, and thinking about how you can help them.
1: Um, I want to turn for a minute to the to some of the stereotypes, because I've you know been looking around and then, you know, when they're in other cities, I've seen uh, efforts to um, ban camping right. outdoors uh, and those have gone to court Uh uh, some mun- municipalities seem to try to um, in some ways hide homelessness. Are you getting that kind of resistance locally or are you finding that Chicago may be i won't say more enlightened but uh, but less hostile to uh, dealing with homelessness and confronting it? Uh,
2: so I'll start uh, the well we don't see the same. Kind of systemic attempts to criminalize homelessness in Chicago that you see in other communities. That doesn't mean that we don't have work to do. Um, and we do see, you know, particularly places where there's encampments, where you'll have, um, you know, community groups, you know, people who live in the neighborhood will raise their voice, want the encampment gone without much thought to what that actually means for the people who are living in that encampment. Um, and, you know, we always push back on that. Um, criminalizing homelessness doesn't end homelessness, uh, and vilifying the people who are experiencing homelessness helps no one. So, you know, the important thing is to look towards solutions. Um, you know, we've had a long standing relationship with the city to, you know, uh, kind of help them understand what are effective methods and what are ineffective methods when dealing with uh, homelessness on the streets. Um, and, you know, by and large, we do okay, but we can always do much better.
1: Um, Richard what what are you seeing what are you, the people who are in your shelters facing
0: yeah I would say um, probably a little different you know as far as our, our city compared maybe to others and um, I think a lot of that has come through with just education and understanding just some of the barriers um, that they that they face and again having an understanding that this could affect anybody and some family members or even themselves um, but I think just continue to provide that education and trying to eliminate some of those stereotypes um, and that they know that if they're living on the street, it's not—it's not really by choice, but there's just no other option, right? If there was, if there were other options as far as housing or shelter, they would be there.
1: Um, yeah, a friend of uh, a former a friend and former colleague of mine once uh, said, "You know, uh, he talking to some people who were homeless that." All of us are probably only two or three paychecks away from being homeless ourselves. And uh, maybe if we understood that, we'd uh, understand the problem a little bit better.
2: That's exactly right.
1: Well, I want to thank Doug Schenkelberg, Executive Director of the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless, and Richard DeContin-Zahler, uh, the executive director of Franciscan Outreach for uh, taking the time to be here. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, to our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMNewsRadio.com. Just follow the podcast links. You can also find our podcasts on Radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of Ad Issue, and I hope you will be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM.